Coming up, Team USA makes a glorious fourth place exit at the FIBA tournament, but Mikhail Bridges does shine. We break down his performance, what it means for the Olympic team going forward in Paris, and also setting the table for the offseason as the Brooklyn Nets dial in on training camp. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there is Doug Norrie, owner-operator of DFSR. I'm Adam Armbrecht, for better or worse, hosting the One Giant Podcast. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We are free on all those great platforms and remind you, if you want that little bit of extra conversation, you go to joinsubtext.com slash LockedOnNets, where it's just like getting into a group text with all your best buddies. Only Doug and I are there. And we're batting around all the great topics like, uh, will Cameron Johnson be added to the Team USA Paris team? We'll get into that a little bit later in the episode, but make sure you go join it. 14-day free trial. And Doug, just like Flint Tropics did in one great semi-pro Once Upon a Time film, fourth place, baby. You can't take that away from us. You can't take us and put us on that podium if you tried. We refuse USA after we said they'd beat Germany. Did not happen. Then they also did not beat Canada, a combination of a bunch of players from the NBA taking on that bronze medal battle. Yeah, look, uh, dropped it to Canada, brutal beat in overtime, uh, even after mm -hmm. the Bridges heroics on the on the three-pointer from the corner, which I probably watched 50 times, the replay, because the replay is so cool. It's like feels yeah. impossible that he even got off the shot, um, which and I'm going to we've talked a lot about Bridges, but actually there's a little there's still some more to talk about with him, which is just some interesting stuff, but. Uh, fourth place finish, lose to Canada. They changed up the lineup a little bit. Not everyone played. Uh, I was clear that this game like wasn't of the highest priority in terms of winning, just from mm -hmm. the um, just from like the roster that they ended up putting out there. But Bridges, if you didn't watch the play, I, I really encourage you to go watch it because he misses a few misses a free throw basically on purpose with almost no time left. The ball caroms to the corner, or it actually caroms to a, a group of bodies. He grabs it shuffles himself to the corner and hits his Once, dagger yeah. three to lose <laughs> to lose after the momentum of that like unbelievable shot is really yeah. a testament to what was going on here with team usa ultimately really disappointing uh finish overall we've already heard from lebron this is recording this monday morning and lebron's already said i'm playing in the olympics right. <laughs> so you can tell that this group this is going to be a totally different group uh, here come the next couple of years. But yeah, in general, I think overall you have to feel pretty disappointed with the USA finish here. It just it just wasn't in line with the record with the amount of talent that they had on the team. Well, and that's something that we, you know, we talked about it going back to last week leading into that Germany game and the discussion that was happening around, oh, well, the best talent, the world championship moniker. And we don't need to retread that. But I do think like when you go and watch and you said, the net, uh, the Nets, the Team USA did not necessarily put out their best version of this roster that they could have in this bronze medal game. But also, Canada and USA represented the highest volume of of yep. National Basketball Association players, and they're competing for bronze. I don't care which way you split it. The even the B squad or whatever version you think this is of Team USA, they underperformed. And I yeah. saw really good stuff from Rafael Barlow um, over on Twitter, who's a great follow. Obviously, he's on the network as well. Does tremendous scouting work. Um, I want to say in the off season, but primarily every single day of his life. 
But he was talking about how, like, it's all right to watch these games and just acknowledge that there's different ways to play basketball. And that's what FIBA represents. There is there is still worlds and leagues around the world where big bodies, traditional, quote unquote, traditional fives still exist, still function at a high level. And oftentimes NBA teams, especially one as thinly constructed as USA was in this tournament, you're going to see it. It's going to be something that you can't overcome. I think that that's really the takeaway for me coming out of this FIBA tournament is like that still exists. And the NBA has gotten so far away from it that this is how you can get into these games without your premier top level guys and get knocked around and ultimately finish fourth. Yeah, look, there's no excuse. They still have the highest collection of NBA talent, so they should win. Yep. I, even if the rules change, like even dramatically, like the, the the NBA has this group of guys has like no excuse to not even medal, right? Based yep. on requisite talent, just based on basketball talent, still basketball, right? Like the rules might be slightly augmented, and it might, you know, the, the they didn't make the it a square. Courts, it's not a square basketball now. Yeah, the it's courts not- condense. Like health defense doesn't matter as not much. Like just strict perimeter paint defense matters more. Like there are changes for sure. Like some of the just moves, you know, the Euro step stuff. Like some of the stuff doesn't work the same exact way. Mm-hmm. The the core conventions are still the same. Put the ball in the basket, right? Be better at dribble. <laughs> like I, I'm not trying to be didactic here, but like yeah. so there's really no excuse based on this amount of talent for the Nets. Sorry, the Nets, homeboy. For the for FIBA, uh, for the USA team to not have landed here, at least in the medal in the medal rounds. That being said, you're he, Raphael's right. Like it this does highlight a slightly different brand of basketball. There are just a few different skills that end up becoming a little more important. They are ultimately too, like these are one-off games here in the end. So right. that can sometimes lead to, you know, just random, some randomness. Like it can have just like, it's like the NCAA stuff. It's like, yeah, a lot of times the best teams will win, but like when you play one game at a time, you are going to be, there's going to be a lot more variance in outcomes just because you're not playing seven game series. So I think there right. are we're going on here. None of it's an excuse for why they finish where they finished the way they finished, I think, but there are at least like some labels you can put on it. But ultimately, like, I don't know. It just it was the expectations were way higher. I think there's a bunch of nitpicky stuff we could go through with the US team. We're not gonna go through it. It's great to see where bridges ended up landing, but yeah, I, I, I can I see Raphael is correct in his assessment. Yeah, and that's, I think, ultimately, right? And he gets that from being over in Europe and watching these other guys play, um, which makes it more interesting. And just to your point, too, when you, over an 82-game season, not only are NBA players familiar with one another, but then you see those teams two, three, four times over the course of a year. So when the sample size is down to just a one-off, you can get snake bit a little bit. Again, doesn't change the fact that you shouldn't have been beat. I have a question coming up here in a second in regards to the way international basketball could impact NBA teams of, of a specific level. We'll dive into that and also tap into Mikhail Bridges and what was an incredibly strong performance for him overall at the FIBA tournament. All right, before we get to that, I'll tell you about our friends over at Ibotta. Summer has come to an end. The fall season is kicking off. Maybe you're in line for new clothes. Maybe you're just going out there for the groceries because we know we're doing that all the time. You want to keep things growing when you're making those new purchases. You can watch the cash back grow with each of those purchases by grabbing Abada. Abada gives you cash back on hundreds of different grocery items, produce, personal care, pantry goods. Um, you can make sure you're just beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. All you have to do to unlock and, and unharness like the power of Ibotta here is you just link your loyalty account and upload your receipts. And while you shop, you can get cash back. It's really literally that easy. That is all you have to do when you're on Abada. The average Abada user 
is going to earn $120 per year. That's just for going out shopping. That's just for linking the accounts. It's just for uploading the receipts. You're just getting the cash back from Ibotta. It couldn't be easier. Cover the cost of an entire shopping trip by the time you're said and done. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5. For just trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register, go to the App Store or Google Play and download the free Ibotta app. Use the code LOCKED. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A in Google Play or App Store and use the code LOCKED. Download Ibotta today. Okay, so as we continue the conversation around coming out of the FIBA tournament, obviously we're going to just highlight again that Mikhail Bridges ended up being, over maybe the last couple of games, really the critical piece, and certainly in that last matchup where things were different in terms of the roster. But just on the way that the FIBA tournament played out, it brought to mind a curious question. When you look over at the NBA, and let's use the Orlando Magic as the example, because they're a team that happens to have two of the players from Germany in the Wagner brothers on their roster. Do you think there's any world where lower I'm, I'm, I'm categorizing as lower level teams in the NBA would look at international play and say, maybe in the short term, as we're trying to get the superstars, the NBA elite level talent on our rosters, that there's a world where we try to grind and survive in that in a more European and a more FIBA style where, yeah, we're going to go a little more traditional. We're going to try to have a couple of switching players or did the measurements to so the shrinking court and some of those things just, just knock that possibility out of it. Because when you watch that game, like against Germany, Hey, it's a lot of big bodies. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of big bodies and some guys that can shoot from the outside that ended up unraveling USA in that particular matchup. I wonder if some NBA teams should consider going a little quote old school while they're still rebuilding and building up their roster overall. Well, yeah, but I mean, then you just look to I, I, no, I don't think you should know because I think the rules just don't aren't going to incentivize you to do that. I think that also, right. if you just look, just flip over to the Canada game, they didn't get killed by the big bodies like SGA, Shea Gillis Alexander, and Dylan Brooks just smoked them. Dylan Brooks yeah. put up thirty nine points. <laughs> like yeah. these, so these are like you know guard wings. You know, uh, SGA is an on ball guard and one of the very best at basketball. Brooks, the much maligned Dylan Brooks, who couldn't make a shot all year for Memphis, they shoot seven for eight from three. And scores almost forty, you know, almost forty. They say points. everybody from Canada is supposed to be nice. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a very persona-based thing for him. <laughs> so I think that, like, I don't know. I don't think you. I don't think whole cloth. You need to really switch things around. And like I said, you can point to other examples here. Uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder was just was really really good for Germany. It's like a small on-ball guard, right? Like these. By just, the way. I, on that, just real quick on that, it, it, it did make me, whatever he's going to be, we know what, what Schroeder is as an NBA player, but it did make me look back and think about Toronto this upcoming season and go, all right, I mean, this guy looks like he's, you know, he's going to be in, in top form here entering this season. I think we all got very dismissive of Toronto losing Fred Van Fleet and there may be some trades coming. They go, we've labeled Schroeder as I think is like this backup or this guy that needs to be behind those other players. He may have a very good season in coming here, and that's a Toronto team that's going to be right there competing with Brooklyn, we assume, around the back end of the playoff picture. It's funny about that. Like, I actually have a pretty low assessment of Toronto this season, um, like yeah. like the unders on some of their win totals. This doesn't change my opinion at all <laughs> of that situation. So I I, I, I don't think it, I don't know if it changes it, but it's just like I associate you all don't you do you make the association of them finishing in their unders. Uh, it's about Fred Van Fleet's not there anymore. The, the replacement is Schroeder, right? Like, I mean, there is at least a one-to-one there because a lot of the rest of the roster has remained relatively the same. And I'm not saying, and again, it will be worse, but I don't think that he's going to be the reason why. I think it's just going to be the collection of what that team is. 
Yeah, maybe maybe that's maybe that's more about what it is than anything else. But in, in general, no, I don't think like I've changed my assessment too much here. I, I think that I think the tournament was really fun. I was way enga- more engaged with this than the, this version of it than ever in the past. I can say that for sure. I mean, Bridges and Cam being there definitely helped uh, from that perspective. So I think um, it was nice. But I think either way, like just ended up tuning into a lot of these games because I think while you know the U.S. didn't bring its top flightish overall talent like they still brought plenty of guys that you want to check in on a week on a game-to-game basis and I think there was enough of those guys from some of these other teams as well so I think in general the assessment hasn't changed but I'm happy to see one like a basketball product during the summer that's high level which this definitely was high level right so um I think that like you love to see that just because it gives you a little you know over the summer kind of thing it helps that Bridges was really good I think that Bridges, like, I mean, we can just move into this real fast. We yeah. talked about him a ton. I, I, he might have been the best, be, the best player in the USA. I mean, Overall. he might not even might have been. I think he just was. I think he was just the best yeah. player that the US had. Um, uh, like, just going two ways. The efficiency was nuts. Like, he just didn't. They actually just didn't have him shoot enough. Uh, honestly, I, I think that Bridges comes out of this, and this is, by the way, this isn't just like a Nets hot take either. Like, this is a. This was a. I'm not the only one that said this. Hollinger said no, the same no. thing um, over the weekend where he was like, hey, Mikhail Bridges was our best player. We've been kind of saying this for a little bit. I, I think he came out of this. His stock was already like going crazy. Like FIBA only elevated it more uh, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> It was interesting because I thought like there was a world where very, very low level of, OK, now Mikhail goes in there. He's going to be a two way player. Maybe the offense we've talked about. Right. What does it look like when you're not on the nets over the last 27 games and you get to take a high, high volume of shots? You have to play behind other players that should get the ball first offensively and then even defensively. It's just, I think, always a growing sample size. As we noted, the net ratings for both Mikhail and Cameron Johnson, they took a bit of a dip when they came over to Brooklyn. So there was some world where it kind of came out neutral, right? Wasn't really going to hurt his stock, but it could have just been, okay, that was an all right performance. To your point, ended up being that he was the best two-way player by far. You could say best overall and make that case. Obviously, Anthony Edwards was phenomenal when he had his explosive burst there for the team over these handful of games. But the two-way ability, like Mikhail Bridges, there were stretches in games, to your point about not getting enough shots maybe, where he was still high impact because he was forcing the issue defensively, did a really good job working over top of screens, picking up man switches, getting steals, getting out in transition and finding players as well. Like I think that he just elevated that overall profile of what his game is. It's an all around game. It's a team centric game. And I think now the question just becomes, can he do that over an 82 game season and then also get three, four, five more shots a game. Because the one thing we always talk about is the wear down effect, right? Other guys are going to need to pick up the defensive end in order for him to flourish offensively. And that's maybe the best case about what the Nets have on their roster right now that can afford him to take some of those breaks on that end of the floor and really dial up the offense. Well, look, I mean, the, just from a shooting perspective and scoring perspective, yeah, the case that shooting? he, sh- what, uh, well, yeah, I mean, he shot 63% from the field, he shot yeah. 58% from three. And he had 73% true shooting over the, over the entire tournament. That's a, that's ridiculous. And he would have been like a fifth. He was like 85% from the line or something like that. Right. Right. And that's knocking out like the one he missed there at the end. He just didn't shoot enough. I really actually case in point for this was the, was the game before was the, uh, the game against Germany where he Mm -hmm. basically didn't miss. And this is actually the biggest indictment. I think where the U S really went Mm -hmm. wrong here with bridges specifically was he did not miss a shot. He, I think he missed, 
no shots, one shot in the first half. It was no more than one. I can't remember if he was just perfect or or if he I think he might have missed no shots in the in the entire first half. Like Fifteen points in the first half. And Fifteen then half points in the, the first half, couldn't miss. Third quarter, zero shots. Zero yeah. shots in the third quarter in that game. And it was it's appalling. Like now, some of this is him because I think that he is still developing a skill set where it's like I don't think he has like the alpha skill the alpha mentality right right now like edwards mm-hmm. clearly has this right and sometimes with the alpha mentality it's going to be ham hey, sh- it's better for worse time here right or better or right, worse right. like it's just happening the shots are going up i'm i'm <laughs> gonna get i'm gonna get what i'm gonna get mine and that's just what's gonna happen for the really best players that ends up ultimately being a good thing like for some players n- no it's a it's a very good example of Bridges probably still not having that maybe some bleed over effect of what the role was in Phoenix where he just wasn't that guy at all he was legit like you know an all like the best role player in the NBA sure. right like that's what he that's what he was in Phoenix we saw a change in 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 Brooklyn for sure but that third quarter against Germany still was a sign to me that like he's not fully there just in ter- maybe in terms of like demanding it like because there should have been a demanding like it's like hey I I, I can't miss. Right. How have I not shot? <laughs> right. Like he's such a good teammate. Stats. Well, 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 because what was it? The first half stats said 15 points, but he did it on a cup on a, on a couple of threes. It, it, the volume oh, of shots it. that he got 15 points on, as Doug will pull it up in the background for us, is it was not a volume commiserate with. And this isn't a knock on Anthony Edwards, by the way, but it wasn't taking 10 shots yeah. to score 15 points. Go ahead. No, no, no. It was. It, this is what it was. It was 15 points on a, I can't even believe his number. First half, 15 points. This is the Germany game, by the way. 15 points, 128% true shooting. Like this It basically solid. breaks the calculation. It basically breaks the calculation, <laughs> right? Like, right. it's like not meant to really go this way because it's what happens when you just make all your, you scored, you scored 15 points, didn't miss any shots, and then comes out in the third quarter and doesn't take a single shot. Like that, there's no yeah. world there's just no world where that disparity should happen ever, ever. That's and by the way, it's on the player some. Some it's on the scheme and the coaches yep. and so. And but in this day and age, it's on the player to go and demand that. Now I don't think he's like this because he's a good team player and he's just a great dude. And like I think he's very used to taking you know second banana stuff. It's not a knock. Like but like you play with Booker forever and like play with these guys. And he just wasn't asked to be a high volume guy. Again, it changed in Brooklyn, but I think we even saw this at times in Brooklyn where it's like, hey, like there's like a little bit of a disappearing effect, right? But sure. for him. And I think, and I think it's just as he works into this role. So I thought that was like a really interesting, like sort of stretch the highlight that I will put on him a little bit and on the team to be like, hey, man, these, the guy can't miss. You got to get him more shots. And that's why coming up here in a second, we'll talk about what should Jacques Vaughn take away from Mikhail Bridges at FIBA and how he should apply it to the season going forward. And we'll also highlight some key offseason dates as training camp approaches for Brooklyn. A couple of players to keep an eye on that could dramatically impact the season ahead. Okay, so as we close things out, thinking about, we're going to highlight a couple of dates here. They're a few weeks away, but there are some notables that were thrown out by Sean Marks early in September that have come and gone here. So we'll highlight Ben Simmons. We'll also uh, highlight Dariq Whitehead. There's some interesting notes there. But just that final piece coming out of FIBA, and you mentioned it, it you know, this has Steve Kerr, right? You, you have high-profile coaches leading Team FIBA. Just 
let's say that it was a mixed bag. I think that at some point, Kerr should have looked, maybe Spoltra should have said, hey, Kerr, why don't you take a seat here? I'll go ahead and lead this uh, conversation. Somebody should have said, like, Mikhail, you need to get on the ball, right? Almost force the ball into his hands. And I wonder if at times they would have been better suited very much getting Anthony Edwards and Mikhail Bridges away from one another in these rotations to say, this is your time now, right? Because no matter what, when Edwards is on the court, you're going to suffer a little bit. I think that Jock Vaughn needs to see that understanding that the talent level is dramatically different from FIBA to the Brooklyn Nets roster, but find ways to make sure and maybe instill that going into this training camp of this is your team, Mikhail Bridges. And nobody, when it comes down to fourth quarters or otherwise, is going to begrudge if you take three, four, five, six, seven, eight more shots than anyone else on the team. There's never going to be a post-game press conference where they say, boy, do you think it should have been in someone else's hands other than Mikhail? The answer is always going to be no. It's always going to be he's our best player. And that may be, to your point about that mentality for Mikhail, something that needs to be instilled in him before we start this season for Brooklyn. Yeah, and I think that's going to be probably something that we just need to watch here, that it just has to, that maybe, and maybe this this FIBA, you know, I didn't, I didn't actually make this connection to this podcast really about about like this this carryover effect between like what his sort of mentality probably is and what mm-hmm. it needs to be and the change that needs to happen. I think you're totally right. Like going into the season, there almost has to be this understanding or a demand that your usage has to be the highest on the team. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it'll look not so great and that's okay. Right. Because I think that, you know, not okay shots from him are still going to be better than Dinwiddie isolations at the end of the shot clocks and stuff like that. Right. That just that are, you know, maybe dribbling the air out of the ball. um, Times Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney Smith, right. Go down the list of players on this roster. Right. There's not going to be a guy oof should be in his hands more. We can talk about perimeter shooting and guys you want to elevate like a Cameron Johnson. But even then, right. I mean, the percentages aren't that far off that you wouldn't say shot clock winding down. I'm going to trust Mikhail over anybody else first, even if it's making the decision to find the open shooter. And I think it'll be interesting to watch because again, like again for for Bridges, he's just such a great dude, and he's done and he's played such a different role for a yeah. lot of games in the NBA. A lot, right? He's played every single game in the NBA. Most of them, the the overwhelming percentage for him have been in the role player variety, mm. uh, or this or again this extreme role player where he's just one of the best role players in all of basketball. Now with him making that move this year and going into training camp this year, yeah, I think that. I really hope there's an incentive incentivization to have it sometimes look not so great in an effort to make sure that that leap happens. Cause it's really actually the only way the the ultimate leap can happen that he has to be in his men in his, the way he pr- approaches the game like these, I, I just call it chuckers like guys who just end up chucking at times because that's what the team needs from them. I don't think we've seen that or it hasn't been consistent, but I think that, Again, sometimes your efficiency will your efficiency will dip with this, but it's just ultimately better. So, I, yeah, I think this is something we really should keep an eye on. And it's unique because of what Mikhail Bridges' age is and how many years he's been in the league. But this is what rookies go through, especially when you're on bad teams, right? You're gonna t- you're gonna shoot a lot of volume in your rookie year, your second year, and it is about refining and getting better. But the only way you get there is through. I mean, frankly, Anthony Edwards, you know, the start of his career, the rookie year had some low percentages and some high volume, but then you see how the leap happens as you move forward. And it's true for more than just him, but because we're talking FIBA, it comes to mind. So you're maybe trying to 
recalibrate Mikhail a little bit, like you would think about a first or second year player who's going to come into their own. One yeah, other um, thing, but yeah, what, no, just one other thing I want to note here before we get into some just some training camp stuff to keep an eye on as we'll work our way through September. Um, Cameron Johnson, I would also say if, if, if the FIBA experience was as high as it could be for a player like Mikhail, the FIBA experience for Cameron Johnson was not, you, you know, it was, and again, I don't know if there was a time when you would have said, Hey, throw him out there for some minutes. But basically, as we said, when they were, when they were working their practices, Cameron Johnson's starting, he's, he's in the starting five and that yeah. slowly dissipated until he was a bench player. Um, at the end of the day, I, I do come out of it saying he is a role dependent and a team dependent player. It will look different for Brooklyn. Obviously, there's not going to be guys that are over him in the hierarchy, but I was at least a little bit disappointed that he didn't carve out or demand some level of role here for FIBA with consistency because it just is reflective of what you're going to need. He needs to be a 20-22% um, usage guy for the Brooklyn Nets. He was a 0% usage guy by the end of it for FIBA. Yeah, uh, didn't really work out the way we wanted it to with him. I think that, and it kind of went the wrong. Whereas I think Bridges, if you watch the trajectory of FIBA, that role grew and the confidence grew right. as the games go. Like you can see it just in the, you can just, you can box score watch and see it happen without even watching the games. Like you could see like just the scoring and the usage kind of climb. For for Cam, it was mostly just that the everything declined until he was essentially DMPCD'd for, for the most part, really near yeah. the end of this thing. Look, not everyone can play. The gr this group of guys, even though they finished fourth, was a list of guys who were all the best players for their respective teams, pretty mm -hmm. much, right? Or, you know, at worst, the second best players. I think if we went through the whole list, right, we would find that each of these guys were at worst the second best player for their team. Cam is still that. He's still the second best player, I think, depending on where you want to put him versus Claxton. Claxton would have been interesting to see uh, in Phoebe here, by the way. Um, but um, overall, again, I'm not changing my assessment. I my assessment changed uh, Bridges just in the sense that, like, oh, I think I understand what I want, what we want to see of him a little mm -hmm. bit more going forward, and it's all good stuff. Uh, my assessment of Johnson is not ch has not changed here, even if the overall outcome was a bit disappointing because, yeah, yeah. I just think you eventually you run out of minutes here, and he just probably still isn't good enough on ball to do everything you need to do in this style of play. But that's going to be a talking point going into the season because he's going to need to be. Right, and we talked about it before, too, needing to do more of that. All right, as we close things out, just a couple of notes here. We actually have some great conversations coming up. You mentioned Nicholas Claxton. I have a Billy Reinhardt question that was posed um, last week that I think really gets interesting when we think ahead to the Olympics. So we'll dive into that later this week a little bit and start to talk more about other narratives around this team. But deadlines are that are coming up, and this is getting into October. Media Day will be October 2nd, obviously. And then the first preseason game against the Lakers is on October 9th. And the opening of Nets training camp is October 3rd, just prior to that. So that's all coming up at the beginning of October. It's worth noting that Sean Marks had set the date of September 1 for Simmons to be ready to go. The timeline for this is that it'll be back 100% probably by September 1st. He said this back on April 23rd. As of right now, Ben Simmons is still not at that point. It just makes training camp in this next month that much more intriguing when it comes to Ben Simmons and getting to three-on-three, four-on-four, and five-on-five five basketball. That's what 100% means. It means you can be playing against full five-on-five five basketball. The other notable is that Dariq Whitehead was at least getting shots up, and there's some speculation around whether or not he could be ready to participate in some capacity when it comes to training camp for the Brooklyn Nets. We're not going to get in a mile deep on this, but it's a full episode to have the discussion 
around what it could look like if he actually has a role potentially in this upcoming season, how it impacts the roster, how it impacts depth. Do, do those narratives intrigue you? Let's just get maybe beyond the Ben Simmons one. Are you going to be watching Dariq Whitehead and what could be a surprising contributor this upcoming season for the Nets? I'm fascinated to see what training camp and preseason sells us. I think that in like totality, probably right? I what's that in totality, like beyond these two guys, just in totality, what it tells us about this roster roles. Well, mostly just because there's so many guys here. And I think yeah. that, I think that that's like one thing that we're actually for all the speculation. I, I think that the one thing that's a little hard to see is exactly what the hierarchy and what the actual breakdown is right now. Maybe it's mm -hmm. easy. Maybe it's like, Hey, they have the starting five from last season. Those are the guys and everyone else is going to be fighting to carve out the rest of the minutes. Like that makes the most sense. <laughs> um, the problem, the difference this year as compared to like, let's say last year, or the last couple of years is that last couple of years, it was very clear. It's like, you know, Durant, it's Kyrie. It's going to be clashing. Let's see where Simmons goes. Um, and like, let's look at a few, um, you know, a few of these other guys who are all these, these wing guys that are all going to fit in around the superstar dudes. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, this year, I, I don't think after Bridges and Johnson and maybe, and well, I mean, okay. I think the starting line is probably pretty much set. It's after that. I think we're totally clueless and it's, oh, we're mm -hmm. just guessing, right. We're guessing mm -hmm. on, Oh, he came in here because he was promised minutes or he came in here because they, they told him the role was going to be bigger or the nets need size. So these guys are going to play. These are all just guesses uh, right? for the most part. And so I think that that's where I'm most fascinated to see. It's good to see that everyone's at training camp early uh, pretty much. And so yeah. everyone's there and reported. I'm a little worried about the Simmons, like still not playing five on five because um, we're getting pretty close now <laughs> to, the, to the season. And the fact that that's not all the way there is a little concerning to me, but Ultimately, I think we're going to know a lot of this stuff in the next couple of weeks. I think we're going to get a, a, bet, a much better sense in the next couple of weeks, even before training camp. Yeah, and really the only concerning note for the for the Brooklyn Nets when you talk about training camp is, as you mentioned, Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson, nowhere's near the city in the last couple of weeks, which is a shame. <laughs> so great to put that stuff out there. Okay, <laughs> we're going to get out of here again. Make sure you are joining Subtext. Join Subtext.com slash locked on Nets to get in on the Nets conversation. Having a ton of fun on Subtext. Free 14-day trial, too, so there's really just no risk. You jump in there, see if you like it. We pretty much guarantee you will. Uh, and then if not, don't worry about it. Just jump out of there. It's no big deal. But join the only way to find out, join Subtext.com slash locked on Nets. Ring out the bells again like we did when spring began. Wake me up when September ends. That's Billy Joe Armstrong, my friends. Oh, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Basketball.